Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You know, we've got a little thunder outside tonight while I'm recording, so if you hear a few booms in the background, that is not me at the range shooting my turkey gun. Even though we are 264 days, 8 hours, 35 minutes, and 44 seconds away from opening day of turkey season in Alabama. I appreciate you guys tuning in this week. You are listening to episode 39, Introducing Women to Turkey Hunting with Brenda Valentine. Before we get into this week's episode, there are some turkey harvest surveys that have been coming in over the past week. And... It looks like good things have been happening in what I consider to be the northern part of the country, but people in Virginia and North Carolina get kind of upset with me when I say that. But those two states this past spring had very good-looking turkey harvest numbers. In fact, Virginia set a record. Their harvest numbers are up compared to 2014 by 17%. This year, there were 20,580 turkeys reported harvested in Virginia. And some of that probably has to do with the fact that Sunday hunting is allowed now, but the turkey numbers are up there. There's no doubting that. My friend John, who lives in Virginia, has had several good seasons up there back-to-back, and he is reporting seeing a lot of turkeys. So that's great news. North Carolina's turkey numbers are up. From 16,912 turkeys harvested in 2014 to 17,828 turkeys harvested in 2015. So these are great looking numbers and I am glad to see that it looks like turkey numbers are up in some parts of the country. So as I like to do at the beginning of every episode, I want to thank JB from the Catskills for leaving a five-star review on iTunes. JB says, awesome podcast. Just began listening this May during turkey season. Got me through those pre-dawn drives to the turkey woods and the days off. Hope you keep it up for the 2016 spring season. Very good tips as well. JB, thank you for taking time to leave the review. I greatly appreciate it. And by leaving your review, you are entered in the Turkey Hunter Podcast t-shirt drawing. So if you guys want to win a Turkey Hunter Podcast t-shirt, Go on to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a review. That's greatly appreciated. It helps us to rank better for new listeners to be able to find the show. Also, 
please subscribe to the show. Subscribing does not cost a dime, and you'll be sure to be notified when new episodes are uploaded so that you can listen to those right away. This week, I am very excited to have Brenda Valentine on the line with me to discuss the best way to introduce women to turkey hunting. You know, today's topic for me is a little bit self-serving. My wife has never stopped me from hunting. She actually encourages it because she knows how much I enjoy it and she knows it's a great release for me to get away from work and all the stress is there. So she actually does encourage it and I am truly thankful for that. But she actually has a little bit of the outdoor bug in her blood. She likes to go hiking, she likes to be outside, likes to work in the yard, things like that. And so whether that ever develops into becoming a hunter or not only time will tell but if i can encourage that development into being a hunter then we'll have another one in the ranks and i'll have another awesome turkey hunting buddy to enjoy all of the wonders of the spring turkey woods with you know i actually took her turkey hunting with me one day right after we started dating she said i would like to go turkey hunting with you because if you enjoy it that much then there's got to be something to it so she and i went out She had on a pair of my camo, which was too big, a pair of my boots, which were too big. And we'd go out into the woods one morning before work. It was a beautiful morning. And I let a couple of things go bad. One of those is the area that we were hunting is very rocky. And of course, I had my cushion that was attached to my vest. She did not have a cushion for her rear end. And when we sat down on the turkeys that were gobbling, I'm sitting there being very still, and she's shifting, moving around. She's being pretty still about it, but she's still moving a little bit. And so I kept looking back there at her saying, just be still. She's swatting the mosquitoes, and I'm telling her to be still. So after about 10 or 15 minutes of sitting there, and she's squirming around still, I realized what I'd done, and I unzipped the cushion off of my vest and gave that to her for her to sit on. I also did not think to give her any bug spray before we left out. So between the mosquitoes and the rocks stuck in her butt, she didn't have a great experience. We did hear turkeys. We did not see turkeys. So that was pretty cool. And she enjoyed hearing the turkeys gobble. But I could have done things differently and could have given her a better experience so that she would want to go sometime. She doesn't have to want to be in the woods every single minute of turkey season like I do. But I think that turkey hunting is something that everyone would really enjoy if they got out there and experienced what it was all about. And like I said, if she actually does get into it, it'll give me the opportunity to enjoy more time with her and enjoy that time in the spring turkey woods, which would be a win-win for me. And now most of you know that hunting historically has been a male-dominated sport, but in my opinion, the number of women hunting today is much greater than it has been in the past. Maybe there are just more women who are being open about their passion for the sport on social media, but it sure does seem like the number of women who are enjoying the sport has greatly increased over the past several years. Personally, I attribute that to some of the farm to table movement that's going on, which is a great thing to be able to go out into the woods or go on the lake and catch our own meals and cook that for the family. 
Brenda is known as the first lady of hunting, and she is a national spokesperson for the NWTF. She's also a 19-year veteran member of Bass Pro Shop's National Redhead Pro Hunting Team, an honorary member of the NWTF Foundation Board of Directors, an honorary board member of the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Foundation, and a member of the Tennessee Turkey Hunters Hall of Fame. How about that? She has also been inducted into the National Legends of the Outdoors Hall of Fame. Brenda is an award-winning TV host and radio personality. She writes regular columns in the NWTF's Turkey Country magazine, Heartland, and Mossy Oak Biologic Gamekeepers magazines. Brenda is an avid hunter, a champion archer, an acclaimed author, and also an outspoken advocate for guns and hunting, as well as the leader of the current women's hunting movement. With all of that said, we are going to jump right into the interview with Brenda. Brenda is a delightful person. I really enjoyed talking to her and going through the interview with her. I hope you guys enjoy the interview, and I look forward to seeing you on the other side. Hey, thank you for tuning in today. I am pleased to have Brenda Valentine on the line with me today to discuss a topic that personally I'm very interested in, and I know a lot of you guys listening to the show are interested in as well, and that is how to get and keep women interested in turkey hunting. And, you know, this is a still a male-dominated sport, even though women are participating a lot more now today than I think they ever have. But, you know, I'm trying to work on mine a little bit to get her out there. So um, if I can trick my wife into going back out there with me again and get her interested in it, it would make my life a little bit easier and make turkey hunting even that much more enjoyable for me. So that would be good. But Brenda, how are you today and where are you? Well, I am wonderful, Andy. And I'm at home today, which is up in northwest Tennessee, outside of Paris, Tennessee. So the world looks good today. Wonderful. And you were telling me before I started the recording that you're looking out of your window of your office and have a few turkeys out there in the field. I do. Isn't that something good to wake up to? I'm fortunate to live way back in the sticks. And yes, I have a healthy flock of turkeys around. And this morning they choose to be outside of the yard just doing their picking and scratching, eating breakfast. Oh, that is, you're right. That's always a great thing to wake up and see and just be able to watch them out there hanging out without your brain working as to how you can get around them and get in better position on them. (laughs) (laughs) That's all over. Now I'm just enjoying them being turkeys. I'm seeing them uh, raising some poles and watching the interaction between the Maybe the older hens, the younger hens, the the gobblers, and and the whole system of it going on. And that's when you learn so much about turkeys and turkey hunting. You're right. Yeah, just observing them, and especially when you can see that whole family flock out there and watch the whole dynamic of that. Mm -hmm. You're right. That's a great time to learn for sure. Well, speaking of turkeys, tell us how you first got into turkey hunting. Well, being a true country woman, farmer, wife, growing up in the sticks, when I got into turkey hunting was when Tennessee decided that we had a huntable flock and they opened the turkey season. So I was already deer hunting, coon hunting, frog hunting, deer hunting, everything that was open. And so when the Tennessee Wildlife Resources Agency said, you know what, we've got enough turkeys, people can turkey hunt now, I decided that had to be for me. It was a a whole change of getting used to hunting with a shotgun from the ground because I was, I Mm -hmm. bow hunting 
hunted deer, I rifle hunted deer, and this was a, a big switch. But I went to the store, bought a box call, read the directions on the back, because I didn't know anybody that really turkey hunted. It yeah. said, yelp three times and wait 20 minutes. And so I did it just like I was taking medicine. I, I sat down by a tree, <laughs> read the directions. I would yelp, yelp, yelp three times and sit there. And, of course, I enjoyed sawing back and forth on that old box call. And I wanted to do it some more, but the direction says wait 20 minutes. And so I'd time myself, and in 20 minutes I'd yelp, yelp, yelp again. And so I just taught myself. You know, it was a whole new thing. It wasn't like now that you, you know, saw turkeys and heard turkeys all over and everybody turkey hunting. This was this was totally new, and anybody that killed a turkey was considered uh, an extraordinary hunter. You know, you didn't have the opportunities that we do now, but it was so exciting. You know, if you heard a turkey, if you heard a gobble in the morning, oh my gosh, your day was made. You didn't have to see it or shoot it. If you just heard it, you know, that was a successful uh-huh. hunt. So I come up in the old school of when there weren't many turkeys, but it was exciting to learn as you went along. Yeah. Well, and on that note, tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, you you were born and raised in Tennessee, is that? I live in the same right. county I was born in. My family okay. lived on an isolated farm. We we didn't have neighbors. We lived at the end of a dirt road, and we lived pretty much off wild game. My father was a great marksman and hunter, and as well as my mother. She could go out and kill a batch of squirrels and cook them for breakfast. And so this was the environment. I was the oldest child, and there was always a 22 rifle or an old shotgun standing by the door and we hunted for our food. We milked cows, raised tobacco and corn and cotton and you know a huge garden so you can pretty much say we we lived off the land as much as anybody ever did. So this is what I grew up in, knowing how to go out and put meat on the table, how to prepare it, how to get by on, it didn't matter what, groundhog, catfish, squirrels, whatever. So, because there wasn't a lot of big game uh, growing up. But then as deer became more plentiful and turkey became more plentiful and I grew up, well, I have two daughters and they were raised on wild game. That's all they knew was coming in and and dressing deer and and putting up enough to last a year. Even when they were in college, they'd come home every weekend and take a cooler of ground venison and turkey breast back to school and them and all their classmates would have good free wild game meat to eat all week. So Uh this is just our family tradition. That's all our family has known is being hopefully very good conservationists and very good hunters that understand the whole circle of of hunting and giving back and taking and and how the whole program works. Right. That's the key. Mm -hmm. If we we don't give back, we are not going to have much to take for very long, are we? Well, and actually hunters are to be commended on that because through our tax dollars, through our conservation efforts, we're actually the reason that the game numbers are what they are today and that we enjoy such a a plentiful number of huntable animals and watchable animals. You know, uh, like I said, the turkeys this morning, I'm enjoying seeing them as do so many people. You know, they go to the parks and up and down in the summertime, ride the country roads and, and just watch the animals because they are enjoyable to see. But in the grand scheme of things, we have to take some numbers of them. And thankfully, our law enforcement people have set seasons and limits. And if we abide by those, you know, we should be have sustainable numbers for future generations. Very true. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come on the show and 
before we get into the real meat of the interview, I've started doing a new segment, and it's a little rapid-fire Q&A. And so I'm going through with my guest on the show, and I've got a list of 30 questions. And what I'm going to do, if you're game for it, I'll rattle those questions off. You answer them as quick as you can, and we'll knock it out. And it's just designed to maybe get people to know you a little bit better, just some kind of off-the-cuff and so, Strange and so, and so everybody will know. I have not seen these questions, correct? That is correct. You have not seen <laughs> so these, these are questions. Pop quizzes, I guess. It, call it, it is very much that. Well, fire very away. Much that. And I think you know the answer to them, even though you didn't study the chapter. <laughs> well, let's see. We'll see how <laughs> smart I am this morning. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's going to be a problem. All right, so I'm timing you on this. Well, and the, the the good news is this. You keep adding rules to this. <laughs> Well, here's the good news. Okay. I've just started this segment. I did it with Tess Jolly last week, uh-huh. but I did a little bit differently with Tess in that. See, I told you I he's said, changing these rules every week. It, I am. You play I like am. a turkey gobbler. He gets up every morning and changes the rules. Now you're doing the same thing. <laughs> Uh, well, with Tess, what I did was I said, okay, I'm going to give you 60 seconds. We're going to run through these questions and answer as many of them as you can. Okay. And I got to thinking, I said, well, there are some great questions down at the bottom of the list that I'm not saying Tess won't get to them, but no one will ever get to them because I can't read 30 questions in two seconds each. That doesn't give the guest any time to answer them at all. And you understand so, just by talking to me on the phone that I talk slow and long. Well, you got another Southerner asking you questions. It'd take me it'd take me about five minutes to read each one of these questions. But just yes, by has three <laughs> syllables for me. <laughs> All right, uh, we're killing time. Okay. You you ask, uh, and I'll try to come up with an answer. All right, let's do this. <laughs> I am starting the clock as soon as I start the first question. How many full-body turkey mounts do you own? Six. How many turkeys did you kill last season? Two. Diaphragm, box, pot and peg, or wing bone? All. Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? All. Wild turkey, on the rocks, neat, with soda, or with water? Lemonade. Ooh. Number (laughs) of grand slams? I'm sorry? Number of grand slams? Uh, three. The make of your shotgun? Browning. Make of your shotgun turkey shell? Winchester. Have you ever killed a bearded hen? No, but opportunities, many, every year. Okay. Have you ever killed a Jake? Yes. All right. Ten-minute successful hunt on a two-year-old or a four-hour-long hunt with a clean miss on a four-year-old? Four-year-old. Favorite camo pattern? Mossy oak. Obsession for turkey hunting. All right. All right. Wild turkey legs for dinner or for the dog? In the crock pot. Barbecue. Uh, I like the answer. More or less than five strikers in your turkey vest? About five. All right. 30-mile-an-hour winds blowing at home the last day of turkey season. Hunting or sleeping in? Oh, hunting. State you killed your last turkey in? Tennessee. State you killed your first turkey in? Tennessee. I knew that one. <laughs> Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? Run and gun. Rios or Osceolas? Rios. Rios or Easterns? Eastern. Easterns or Merriams? Merriams. Public land out west or private land in the southeast? Both. Two and three quarter inch, three inch, or three and a half inch? I've never seen a three and a half inch, except on right. oscillators, maybe. Um, oh, no, no, I, I'm talking oh, shells. Oh, shells. I thought you were talking yeah. about spurs. Oh, that'd be nice. <laughs> right. Um, okay, long answer. Three and a half is what I've been shooting this year. I've shot threes. Okay. 
fours, fives, six, or blended? Fives. Field turkeys or woods turkeys? Woods. Pump or automatic? Auto is what I've, the last two years, before, I did an old 870 pump for ever, a little Winchester pump. So right now it's auto. Okay. Shotgun scope, rifle sights, holographic sight, or beads? Beads. Fiber optic beads. All right. Rubber boots, leather boots, or snake boots? Rubber. You roost a bird this afternoon and it's pouring rain at daylight. Do you hunt tomorrow morning? Yes, but later. I like that answer. Favorite place you've ever hunted? My own little farm. I like it. All right. You hold the record for the fastest answers to those 30 questions. Did we do 30 already? That's 30. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah, three minutes and 42.34 seconds. Well, I could have made them <laughs> shorter, but I wanted to explain some. <laughs> uh, no, I understand. Okay. And, you know, I really hesitated about the bearded hen and the Jake question of even adding those on there because I know some people that are in the public eye, so to speak, are might be a little hesitant to answer those questions just because they know oh, no. that it's they're both legal kind of, birds and right. i think everybody uh as they grew into hunting killed a jake i mean oh, yes. my goodness i don't kill them now but have i ever killed one yes yes when right. i first started turkey hunting oh my goodness a jake was a trophy and it still right. is for people that maybe haven't killed a lot of birds or you know a kid or somebody that just needs to get a turkey under their belt heck yeah i have no problem with that and bearded hens the only reason that I don't shoot them is I'm always fearful that they have a nest somewhere, and I don't want to do that because it's during breeding and nesting season, and I don't want to you know, leave some unhatched eggs around. But in the fall, you know, I wouldn't have any problem with it. There are a lot of bearded hens. In fact, this spring I have, and I want to say it may be a mother and daughter. I don't know about this, but mm-hmm. I, I'm seeing a hen that's got about a almost a 10-inch beard. It's dragging. I mean, she would be envious some of the gobblers and there's one with her that's got a little five inch beard and they travel together a lot so i'm not sure you know if it may have been a a from a year or two ago but you know they're obviously i've seen some with poles last year i saw a bearded hen running around have try to set rules for other people and whatever feels right for you as long as it's legal why should i cast shadows on other people what they decide that is right for them but you know i i see so many of them and i've had just tons of opportunity but i kind of like to hear that gobble and and enjoy the chase and and maybe i just am not that hungry yet right yeah i feel the same way as you i would love to have a bearded hen mounted Right. And but I'm I'm like you. I I just what if she's already started laying? Exactly. That's me. You know, and mm-hmm. to shoot one in the springtime, I just can't bring myself to do it. I really can't. Well. And but I'm not judging anybody who does no. by any means because you know it's a trophy that I would love to have. Mm-hmm. Me too. So I don't I have one do mounted, but. Uh, this year, well, the past several years, I really do more guiding than I do actual shooting. That's the reason I'd only kill two, but I, for about two and a half months, I'm taking other hunters. And even 
some of the new hunters that I took out this year had opportunities for bearded hens. I mean, they, you know, some of the wheeling sportsman's hunts that I guided that had people in wheelchairs and things in ground blinds, we had bearded hens just come up and, and peck and, and feed all around us, and they chose not to shoot them. And, you know, I did not try to influence them in any way. I said, you know, this is a legal bird. If you've never taken one, this is your choice. I don't care. I'm here to assist you and try to call you in a bird. And, you know, they chose not to, but a lot of times they're hoping, you know, they feel like if they shoot, they ruin their chances of a, a big old strutting tom coming in. And right. So it's, it's just what it is. There's enough that they're not going to hurt the population. And they there's some people of the mindset that they don't lay and they don't raise little ones. Well, that's wrong. I no, see them all yeah. the time with a, a batch of fresh hatched poults dragging along behind them, and they obviously make good mothers. And so that's the only reason I don't. But if it was in the fall and I was bow hunting and one come by, I, I would probably shoot it and, and you know, treasure the meat and the mount. Right. I'm with you on that for okay. sure. Well, thanks for playing along on that. That was fun. Well, yes, it was because the answers I didn't have to think except on the, the two and three quarter. And I thought, man, that's, that's <laughs> a monster. And then you kept getting, and the first thing that comes to my mind was fur length. And I'm thinking, oh, no. You know, and, and I was on the wrong track. I wasn't thinking my shotgun shells. In, in the back of your mind, you're probably thinking, what kind of birds is this guy? Well, huh? I've seen because... a few oscillated that have those big, old monster spurs. And I'm thinking, oh, right. my goodness. That, that is, I think. I think I've seen some three inches on that, but I, and you got wow. <laughs> three and a half, and, and all of a sudden, you know, it dawned on me. I thought, oh no, we're talking ammo here. Well, and I'll, next time I do the, ask that question, I'll ask. Oh I'll, no, I'll because the next person will answer it faster, and then I won't be the winner anymore. Oh, okay, that was fun. I appreciate you doing that. I think it gives everybody a little bit more insight about you than what you can tell us in a tell us about yourself type of question. Well, so. I think it gives people, they're answering their own answer. When you ask that question, then they're answering. And maybe true. we're seeing how our answers match up. That's very true. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into the meat of the interview now. Okay. And that is just what I talked about, that hunting pretty much as long as I can remember up to the past, I'd say five years or so, has really been a male-dominated sport. And I think, and I'll get your opinion on this, but I think some of the excitement and some of the push for what I believe is the growth in women in the sport has to do with some of this farm-to-table movement. I agree to that. I think uh, a lot of women are seeing the <clears throat> the real reason behind it all. It's not just the boys' club anymore. There's a real purpose in the hunt which there always has been, but maybe it wasn't promoted as such. It wasn't near as visible as it is now. Well, I know you do a lot of public speaking and you do a lot of programs about this topic in and of itself, but can you share some tips or even kind of walk us through the best way to get our wife or girlfriend or daughters introduced to the sport of turkey hunting? And I know it's going to be a little bit different with a kid than it is going to be with an adult, or at least I would imagine. You know, I'm going to back up here and maybe stick my neck out, but for me, hunting has never been a gender thing. I was not raised like mm -hmm. that, and I think that if you'll look around at nature, you'll see that maybe the the best 
old barn cat you can have is an old mama cat. Uh, I don't see that there's any gender difference as far as providing for your family. Actually, the female of every species is usually the provider for the the kids, and humans seem to be the same way. They take care of the little ones and, and prepare the food and stuff like that. I've not seen any turkey, any deer, anything that really responded any different to me because I'm a female than it would to you because you're a male. I think this is something that's in our minds. For me, hunting is a genetic thing that you're either born with it or you're not. And I grew up with hounds. We we hunted with all kinds of dogs from, you know, little five squirrel dogs to blue tick and plot coon dogs. And we'd raise a litter of puppies and they could be the best bred puppies in the world. And you'd get some that were outstanding hunters that, that loved the race, that that had good noses, that just thrived on the chase. And in the same litter, there would be some that were content to lay on the porch and eat biscuits or just be a companion. (laughs) So obviously it was not, they didn't get the hunting gene. So when we're talking Mm -hmm. about starting new hunters, I think we need to realize that not everybody that gets up in the morning has the hunting gene in them to begin with. So kids... And that's good. Well, that is good. My my way of thinking, and maybe this is being too simplistic, but it's how I believe that in the beginning, when God passed out gifts to everyone, there were some people got the gift of how to doctor and heal. Some people got the gift of how to teach, and some people got the gift of maybe how to build or to figure, and some people got the gift of providing meat and others got the gift of of growing food so everybody got a gift that was going to contribute to the well-being of the race and those of us that got the hunting gift you know that I think that's passed down and we know it it's in us and there's a lot of women that don't hunt because they've never had the opportunity to realize that they are genetically wired to bring in the meat they enjoy this the matching of wits with wild game as in turkey hunting yes we're going to shoot a turkey we're going to bring it home we're going to eat it but even if we don't if we match our wits with that gobbler and he wins we feel a certain satisfaction just because we've been a part of the chase right so back to your questions i know i've taken you around the the globe and back but uh how to get women or kids or men that have never hunted mm-hmm. interested in it and I think the first thing is just to take them as an observer you know if I was wanting say uh, a friend that had never hunted and I really wanted them to enjoy the things that I enjoy and take them with me it would just be come on put put your boots on and get up with me and let's take a cup of coffee and go to the woods if we sat in a ground blind or there's nothing that send chills down your back like sitting in the pre-dawn and hearing a gobbler just break that silence just boom close by if that doesn't stir their blood then i begin to question whether they have the hunting gene in them or not and right. so this to me it don't hand them some big shotgun they're not familiar with and trudge them all over the country and set them in a slough and let the mosquitoes pack their ears off. Just (laughs) 
just make it easy. Go somewhere and sit down. Even if it's in the middle of the day and you know where there's some dust bowls or late in the right. evening when you see them coming across the field feeding on their way to go roost and watch them fly up. Most of the time when you expose somebody to that, they want to get up early and go and watch them fly back down again. They become interested in how these things operate. Up until then, it's something that they eat at Thanksgiving and they never really grasp that there's a, a system to all of this. So mm-hmm. the people that I want to become interested in turkey hunting, I don't give them a gun. I just take them out, give them some binoculars the first time, and when they see that gobbler strutting and gobbling, it fascinates them. And then maybe a camera, maybe take your phone and, and take pictures. And as we evolve, I let them become more involved. You know, they may see me shoot one, but it's not long till I've given them a pot call or a box call, especially if there's not much going on and just to kill time. Here, let me teach you how to do this. There's no big secretive art to this. Anybody can make a reasonable turkey sound these days. Yes, there are there are callers that can make music with a turkey call, but I don't know that they have any more fun, any more enjoyment, and sometimes they don't kill any more turkeys than all of us that just are mediocre, just average with our turkey calling. They work at, we're not all musicians, but it doesn't mean we don't like music, but anyway, I take a vest full of an assortment of calls. When you asked me that question a while ago, yes, I have wing bones, diaphragms, pots, scratch boxes, every kind of call there is. I collect calls. And I walk along with a vest that just pretty much rattles when I'm in it. But when I sit down with a a new hunter, maybe a new hunter, they may be 70 years old. But if if they haven't hunted a lot, they're still a new hunter. And I'll start pulling out some box calls or anything that I feel like is easy to work. One of the, the main things I pull out, especially with kids and when I'm teaching classes, is coffee stirrers. I'll stop at the quick stop and get a handful of coffee stirrers or drinking straws and I just start passing them around and and teach them how to yelp on a coffee stirrer and use it to get a response from a turkey and it amazes them and they begin to see that hey you know you can use a lot of things to call up a turkey and and it's fun just to imitate like that so once they get into the game of fooling the turkey into thinking they're another turkey then they become more hooked and it's much more addictive like that than it is to go sit in the ground blind and sit there for hours and either sweat or freeze and hope one walks by and shoot it and all that they've actually got to do is take the instruction put a gun on a stick and pull the trigger. There's no interaction. And turkey hunting is meant to have that interaction. That's the key to the charm of the whole thing. I agree with you. I'm going to have to get you to teach me the coffee stirrer trick because I've been turkey hunting for over 20 years. And today is the first time I've ever heard anybody using a coffee stirrer to make a turkey call out of. Oh, yeah, those little teeny little straw things that uh-huh. they have. Oh, yeah, I carry a pocket full of them all the time. And every time I, I teach a lot of classes to ladies and kids and stuff, and they can have a non-expense turkey call just like that. And something that will just fit in your shirt pocket. That's nothing. It's like same as calling on a wing bone or, or a, a wing bone. Yeah. Call. yeah, it's just that little smoochy thing. 
Yeah, it's pretty neat. Okay. Well, see, and I'll learn something from every one of these interviews that I do, of course. Well, we all learn from each other because none of us are ever going to live long enough to know it all. And the turkeys teach us, too. Every time I am up against one, they'll teach me something, and maybe I'm not there thinking I'm going to learn something, but, uh, you know, they keep evolving to our techniques, and so I feel like we have to evolve to theirs. They can put it on us pretty regularly, so if we don't learn something from them, then we're growing stagnant, I'd say. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. You know, you mentioned something in your answer to that question that I think is something that we need to talk about a little bit further, and that is when you're introducing someone to the sport, that you're not going to give them a big old heavy 10-gauge or 12-gauge to walk around in the woods with with a three-and-a-half-inch magnum turkey shell in it and let them shoot that. Heavens, no. But what is the best way, in your opinion, to introduce them to shooting to prepare them for when that time rolls around while we're hunting? Well, for a person that has not shot a lot of shotguns and is new to shooting and to hunting, Probably a little 410, which I'm not, I don't hunt with 410, and I don't know that I'm a big advocate of it. But Mm. as far as learning how to shoot, my grandkids, I started them just out here in the yard shooting cans and, and, you know, old water bottles, whatever, with a little 410, just a little single shot, just because it's safe and there's no recoil, and it teaches them, you know, not to fear the noise and everything. But for a beginning hunting gun, a 20-gauge is my go-to gun and when I'm working with them to pattern their turkey shooting stuff I usually start at 20 and 30 yards with light loads I I don't even put turkey shot in there I'll put some some dove loads or something in that just a real light low recoil ammunition Mm -hmm. with a 20 gauge and then once they're comfortable you know sitting flat on the ground shooting on their knee or some kind of shooting stick then Maybe shoot it just a time or two with a a turkey load just for pattern, not enough to ever feel that they know the difference in it. And then, you know, in most situations with turkey loads and a 20-gauge, and there's a lot of mature turkey hunters now that limit themselves with a smaller caliber gun just just to make sure that the turkeys come in closer. They enjoy uh, limiting themselves. It's kind of like people that hunt with a recurve bow anymore. The, The enjoyment with them is the limitations they set on themselves. And a few people are hunting with 410s like that, but the 20 gauge is becoming popular. I'm hearing so many people that have, oh my gosh, you know, had a lifetime of hunting experience and, and just taking so many turkeys and they do this just to make sure that they don't take longer shots when they could call the turkey in closer. So right. 20 is my go-to on a young hunter and I keep a little 20 gauge pump around just to put on some of these beginning hunters. With the new technology and turkey loads these days, I think the 20 gauge shells and these new chokes that we have going in our guns, I think a 20 gauge today with that new technology and choking shells is as good, if not better, than a 12 gauge from 20 years ago. I think you're right, yes. The accuracy of them, especially, you know, the choke and the. 
specifically designed for turkey ammunition and the sights. So many people are shooting uh, scopes and, and holograms and, and different uh, types of uh, aiming devices to where 20 years ago half the people didn't have a, sco- a choke in their gun and they just had a front bead. So right. the accuracy of it all is what's made the difference. Yeah. And the reason yeah. that we even have that is the popularity of turkey hunting and the number of people that are into it. And the reason the number of people that are into it is because of the turkey population that we enjoy today. And they see that as a continuation of deer season. That gives them a spring outlet for everybody that uh, are is passionate about hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be selfish for a minute. I'm going to talk about my situation and get your input on that. Well, let's hear about your situation. All right. Okay. So here's what goes on in my world. I married a city girl. Her dad and mother raised her as a girl. Uh, And I don't mean that as an insult whatsoever. Oh, no, no, no. I'm with you. Yeah, when you go out in public, you wear a dress, and here's what ladies do, and ladies don't do that, you know, that kind of stuff. Great. But, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. But when we first started dating, she said, well, I want to see what turkey hunting's all about. Well, bless her heart for even being interested and broad-minded. Yeah, well, and she said, if you're that interested in it, and you love it that much, there's got to be something to it. Exactly. And, of course, I said, yeah, you're exactly right. There is. So... She decides to go with me. I give her a pair of my camo, which is way too big for her. Mm-hmm. She gets on a pair of my rubber boots, which are way too big for her. And she, <laughs> God bless her, she looked like Elmer Fudd. <laughs> this has been the story since the <laughs> beginning of wives trying to uh, figure out their husbands, yeah. Uh, big old clown shoes on, clumping through the, the woods. And... We went out, and I was not smart. I when we, we actually did hear turkeys gobbling, but when we sat down on them, of course, I flipped my little butt cushion down, and I sit down. Well, she doesn't have one. Uh-uh, and probably every 10 feet, you was turned around going, shh, because she didn't know how to walk quiet, and you was probably putting a lot of stress on her. She already had that in her mind, and so she actually did very well. I didn't get on to her about a whole lot, other than when we did sit down, we got within about 100 yards of a group of jakes, and there must have been eight or nine or ten of them in that group, and they were gobbling like crazy, mm-hmm. And which is really what I wanted her to go out, you know, what I wanted her to experience. Right. And so we go out, we sit down, and then I look over there at her, and she's swatting mosquitoes, yes. swatting mosquitoes, yes. slapping at them and swatting them. And so, you know, that really the only time I ever really got on to her was, you know, moving. be still, be still. Mm-hmm. And, and But she decided at that point in time she wasn't real crazy about turkey hunt. There's too do many bugs out there. No, mm-hmm. not really. I don't think I do. And, and it's like you said, it's not for everybody. But she does like to get out in the woods and she likes to go and when i say the woods she likes to go hike right so she likes to do things outside so i kind of feel like there's a yeah there's a connection there and i think that she if she ever tried it again and i was a little bit better about it with her i think that it might be something that she would get interest in but lord knows when a when a bug comes running across the floor at the house she is screaming freaking out come kill this bug you know Mm -hmm. i mean it could be nothing Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of things out there that not just women at all but kids too bugs and things like that undesirable critters well well, wait a minute i've taken men that uh when a snake crawled by they were 
making tracks oh. up my back, running over me. So <laughs> I've got I've got plenty of plenty of friends uh-huh. who that, are the same they, way. They have a runaway whenever they <laughs> see uh, something like that come through. But and uh, let me tell you about me again. Okay, I, a snake doesn't a snake doesn't bother me a bit. Mm-hmm. Spiders, I cannot stand. We all spiders. have our phobias. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but. You know, and and being in the South, walking through the woods at dark on a warm March, late March, or any time in April morning, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna catch spider webs. Oh yeah, I hate them across all my face. Over. Oh yeah, I can't stand it. But I keep trudging on because there's a turkey out there somewhere. I know. How do we get new hunters? And again, you know, I don't I don't mean it to sound sexist, I know. but new hunters, whether it's women, kids, or men, beyond or past those things of the bugs, the snakes, spiders, ticks, all that, anything that they don't are not used to seeing or not comfortable with, and think about them. They just get the heebie-jeebies when they think about them possibly being on them. I don't know that I can uh, cure any phobias. And one thing I caught there is you had a cushion and she didn't. And she's a, she's a sweet lady, so if you were a kind gentleman, you would have offered her your cushion. I and, did after a while, okay, but I yeah, didn't think uh-huh, about it When guilt set in and she couldn't be still. <laughs> Second, I would have had her her own thermocell to keep those mosquitoes off her ears and mm. and any bugs around. And two, you have to teach them about spraying your clothes down with permanone. I'm a big advocate of tick prevention just because I have this alpha-gal allergy caused by a tick. But if you're going to be a mentor, you have to think in terms more of mentoring and making things right for your students than you do of your own personal enjoyment or satisfaction. So if right. in terms of if I was taking a kid or a lady, and the first thing I would do with her is enroll her in a Women in the Outdoors weekend event. Sometimes they're just a one-day deal where they can take classes and they, they learn about this stuff and they they don't feel that they have to measure up. They don't have to keep in stride with somebody that walks faster with them and already knows the way when they're worried about stepping in a ditch or a limb popping them upside the head. You know, right. this is everybody's on the same level then, and they can learn about what they're expected to do and what, what they may expect to experience when they're in this situation. So taking somebody up cold, putting them in clothes and boots that's too big, leading them out in the dark someplace that that they're not familiar with, that's kind of stacking the deck against them. You might think about taking her in the afternoon, maybe when the bugs aren't hardly as bad and she can see where she's going. She don't know if she's sitting down on a snake or what before daylight like that. Give her a flashlight for Pete's sake. You know, I don't walk around worried about the flashlights. Yeah, I don't usually use one because my eyes adjust. I've been doing this all my life. These people that are not comfortable wandering around in the woods in the dark, give them a flashlight. You know, if you spook off a turkey, fine. He's not going very far, and maybe you have just made a new hunting partner for life. Just True. make things a little bit easier. It, it's like but taking baby steps. They, You've been hunting for 20 years, turkey hunting. This is her first time. I'm sure the very first time you went, there were things that weren't pleasant, but the overall experience won out over that. And her mm. hearing those turkeys was probably the high point, but all of the other. One is getting up so blasted early. You know, oh, most yeah. women go so hard during the day that they're not. They enjoy that couple of hours of sleep after everybody gets up and gets out of the house just to rest. So Mm -hmm. my theory is, 
you know, I can chase a turkey. I can shoot a turkey at 10 o'clock or 1 o'clock just as good as I can before daylight. However, I don't get to hear them gobble as much. So if I want to hear the gobble, I roll out. But, you know, there's not any, some states, there's a few states, yes, that you can't hunt them in the afternoon. But that doesn't mean you can't observe them. You can go and look. And in the case of your wife, you know, she might really, really benefit on going on an all-ladies hunt. The focus on these, and I do these, you know, I attend them and, and guide at these things all the time. And the focus on that is let's have fun. Let's let's get out and, and see some turkeys, and it becomes a group thing. Right. The support there is marvelous. And so this might be something that she would see a different side of it than perhaps what you could present. Yeah. And yeah. then the next well, thing you know, you're going to have to be buying a new shotgun. You're going to have to be buying some boots that fit and some decent camo that she can keep up. You know, it gets expensive, but you've gained a partner for life. Right. And you're going to well, have to be big enough to stand it when she can go and call her own turkey and come in and you don't. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, absolutely. So I can handle that. So be careful that. what you ask for because <laughs> there's a lot of guys that say, man, they're wearing out the turkeys. And it's like, well, you wanted me to hunt. And now that I do, I enjoy it. And another thing that I think that probably a lady such as your wife would give them a, a better understanding and better feel is let them dress the turkey. I mean, assist them, but let them dress it. I do this with kids all the time. I, I want them to open that crawl and see what that turkey's been eating, and I want them mm-hmm. to cook those legs and make something good out of them and enjoy the whole process. There's more to it than just you know shooting it in the head and putting it over your shoulder and getting your picture taken and throwing that on Facebook. You know, that that's right. good. That that way you want everybody to celebrate with you. But there's nothing more satisfying than inviting friends over or having the family for Sunday dinner and saying, this is my turkey. I, I killed this turkey with my own hands. I call this turkey up, and now we're having a big feast on it. And so that's when the enjoyment comes in for so many people when they can share the bounty. Very true. Do you think it's any different trying to reintroduce someone to the sport than it is to introduce them to the sport? It's according to how bad that first experience was. I don't. I don't think she's ruined forever. I think. No, I don't just, think so. Uh, maybe I know you're further south than I am, but early in the season, is, there's usually some nice, cool, crisp mornings, and you know the bugs aren't too bad then. And it, you know, turkeys are gobbling. And they may not be. They may be hinned up and all that. You know, maybe the hunting's not hardly as good, but the conditions are so much more pleasant. Yeah. So I probably should just baby step it then and and get get out of my mind that this revelation is going to all happen within one season. It may take two or three or five or ten seasons. Oh, I don't think so. And even though I prefer to run and gun and follow the turkeys, you know, ground blind hunting is probably the best way to start with some of the the newer hunters i'd encourage them to bring a camera a lot of the kids they bring their ipad and they sit there you know and they'll work online during the slow times but man the minute we see a turkey enter a field or anything if it's just you know if it's a hen or whatever it is everything goes away and they become fascinated with this and i make sure i carry an extra set of binoculars just some little compact binoculars where they can watch it and they can pick out the detail it becomes 
personal when they can say, oh, man, you know, is, is it a Jake or is it a God? I don't know. Well, look at its beard, you know, and, and notice right. its fan. And so I start questioning them about the different things about the turkey where they have to pay attention and they have to, to notice. And then they, that draws them in and they become part of it, you know. And it's like, well, do you think it's coming this way? Well, does it see our decoys, you know? And, and when it becomes a back and forth thing and, you know, most women have a shorter stride. We can't hardly keep up with somebody that just goes like a racehorse down through the woods. And all of a sudden, it's like, I can't keep up. This is not fun. I'm, I, there's too many restraints. I can't move. I can't speak. I can't do anything. And when you're in a ground blind, some of that changes. A lot of it changes. You can sit there, carry on a conversation, you know, move about, eat, enjoy it. I take a thermos of coffee and some snacks and we sit there and we get to know each other. We talk and we don't have interferences. Birds come by, we'll make pictures or the flowers are blooming. It's more of an outdoor experience. All the while, we'll have a decoy or two thrown up, and if the turkeys come by, so maybe don't go so hardcore for a little bit. Yeah, I think that's important for kids, especially. Well, think about a lot of the our hunters with disabilities that are mobily mobile mm-hmm. impaired that are in wheelchairs or just can't walk, or you know, I, I get a lot of people that have problems with their knees and hips and stuff, and we just they're thankful just to be out there. If they're sitting in a ground blind, at least they're hearing, you know, the the birds and the sounds, and they're watching the sun come up. And to them, that's the whole experience. You know, if they get a shot at a turkey, that's okay. But you get someone that spends every day in front of a TV or in a wheelchair watching the rest of the world circulate around them, all of a sudden, they're a part of that world. Whether they're in a blind looking out the window or or in a brush blind or whatever, they're getting to feel the breezes and see the trees and hear the, the birds and things. So, you know, that's enough for them. If they see a turkey, if they right. hear a turkey, or if they pop possibly shoot a turkey, man, that's just icing on the cake. But it's the other things that sometimes are ignored that makes up the whole the whole benefit and complete the picture of the experience. Right. Well, we are getting close to time. I have kept you about an hour so far, but I have a couple more questions that I want to ask you. All right. I think the information you shared with us so far is fantastic, and I've certainly enjoyed learning from you. But tell us about your most recent successful turkey hunt and the one or two things that you feel like made that hunt a success for you. Well, let's define success. For me, a successful hunt is when I have interaction with a mature gobbler and sometimes he wins, sometimes I win, but it's been a successful hunt all the same just because I've been a part of that interaction. But most people define successful hunting as a when they shoot a turkey. My last successful hunt, I didn't shoot the turkey, but I took a lady. Uh, we hunted in Nebraska. This was near the end of season. It was mid-May, and she had never taken a Merriam's turkey. We arrived in northwest Nebraska, and there was 20 inches of snow, so I brought, uh, I flew in with deer hunting clothes, uh, weight clothing, and I guided this lady on a turkey hunt up in the edge of the Black Hills, and Mm -hmm. the weather turned warmer. I mean, the first couple of mornings, we were breaking through ice and going to our knees in snow. 
there weren't leaves on the trees and and prior to that turkeys had been gobbling and you know the breeding season was well underway and then it come this late spring storm and i'm sure that it broke up a lot of the nesting there were right. um, gobblers weren't in pursuit of the hens they everything was just standing around cold and on standstill in fact one day midday we saw turkeys still in trees so it it put a lot of stress on trying to get her that Miriam's turkey and this was a hunt that was auctioned off at a NWTF banquet a ladies banquet so I felt maybe some pressure into helping her get this turkey but anyway it went on and and things were getting down in the short rows we had a few opportunities it was tough on a new hunter she was shooting a shotgun with a scope and sometimes there would be glare on the scope it was one thing and then another another time there was three gobblers all together and had their heads together and was not a a safe shot because didn't want to take more than one and we couldn't get them separated they just traveled together all the time and these were mature gobblers which usually you'll see jake's doing that but like i said things were kind of screwy with the the turn in the west but uh, on the last day, she got a, I think it was a hybrid. It looked like it was a cross with a, a Rio and a Merriam's. One of the prettiest turkeys you've ever seen just had a gold band on it, on its fan. Not bronzy looking like a Rio and not totally uh. white like a Merriam's. It was kind of a butter color. It was just beautiful. And a, a big, mature old Tom, you know, long beard and everything. But the trials of every week, and this was all new territory, neither of us had ever been there before or hunted there and just going from cold cold deep snow and then the la- and then the mud and then trudging and trying to figure out turkeys in a new place and then seeing her successfully take that turkey it, it was just heartwarming to me I felt like I had a successful hunt and I knew she did so mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for but when no. she took that turkey it was as if I had succeeded because oh, it was such a a, a trial. And what did I learn? I learned what I hope every hunter knows that it's sometimes it's about persistence, it's about patience, it's about staying focused and just not being deterred by weather or circumstance. Right. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. There have been many times in the past when the weather stinks, maybe it's too hot. Oh, yeah, I hate the hot. <laughs> Maybe for me, being a southern boy, thinking it's too cold, it's too windy, too rainy, whatever. There's always a two-something. There's, You're right. There's an excuse to not do it. Right. But we know what the reward is if we get out there and do it. And so many of those days when I have thought, I'm not going to go out because it's too windy. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go out because it's too cold. They have been very successful days. Oh, that's when your trials begin to figure out a way to overcome all of the the twos, you know, too too cold, too windy, too wet, too whatever. That's when it's up to the hunter to persist and figure out, okay, if it's too windy, so how do I hunt in the wind? Or what are the turkeys doing? That's when you use your brain and change your tactic into thinking like a turkey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so many of us are not afforded the opportunity of hunting every single day of season and so you know and then and then some states like michigan you get seven days i I agree so you you got to make hay while the sun's shining buckle up and go that's right that's right so i think that's very good information and i think it's sound advice be persistent be patient and work to make it happen yes yeah if if it just fell in your lap every time you went out there you wouldn't do it 
It's the challenge yeah. that keeps us going. That's right. Well, I know that you are very involved with the NWTF. I'm a national spokesperson. I have been for over six years and very proudly so. My my job is to tell people about the NWTF and spread their success story and encourage more people to become members and support that conservation movement. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about what's going on with the NWTF right now. Well, a couple of years ago, we adopted a new initiative. You know, back in 1973, when we started, there was only 1.5 million wild turkeys in North America, and we had one of the most successful restoration programs in history of anything. And now, you know, there are almost 7 million turkeys in huntable populations in almost every state, barring Alaska. So with a successful restoration, now we have a 10-year initiative, and it's called Save the Habitat save the hunt and that kind of explains what it is but we're not just saying that we've said specific things that we want to accomplish in a 10-year period. And the first is to conserve or enhance 4 million acres of upland habitat. And we're well on our way in that. And that is to, like I said, to conserve or enhance. And that could be Mm -hmm. something as simple as planting food plots or thinning timber or having controlled burns, whatever it takes to make the land more habitable for the wild turkey. And when the wild turkey benefits from it, so does everything, from songbirds, honeybees, white-tailed deer, everything. So 4 million acres, and that's over the United States. And what the next mission is to create 1.5 million new hunters. And when we do that, we're doing it by mentoring. We're doing it by teaching with all of our different programs we have going on, our Jakes, all our outreach stuff. But working with our hunter education and and our shooting sports just there's so many ways that we can connect and and bring these people into the fold and when we have that then we have the voting power and we have the the sales tax we have the sure. means to to save our habitat and save our hunting when we mm-hmm. create these numbers and then the the last part of this mission is to open 500,000 additional acres to public hunting. There's a ton of public lands out there that are currently closed to hunters. And by sometimes there'll just be just a few acres that are private that keeps people from being able to access some of this public land. So each state is on a mission to access some of this land that's formerly been closed public hunting, although it's public land. So if we can open up 500,000 additional acres, that's going to give people places to hunt that has formerly been inaccessible. So this is a, it's a tough mission, but we've embraced it and we're making huge strides. You go on to the NWTF website, I think you can read a lot more. People have got behind this push because they see that if we're going to have hunting and hunting places in the future, we've got to get behind it now. So with the track record of the NWTF being so successful on past missions, we're undaunted by this goal of save the habitat, save hunt. Right. I think that the NWTF is really a poster child for conservation organizations around the country. Well, thank you. I believe the same thing. Yeah. They just have accomplished amazing things and, you know, know whatever. 
we have amazing volunteers, volunteers that believe in the same thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that, if someone listening to the show wants to be involved and wants to get into one of the mentoring programs or be involved with the NWTF as a volunteer, how can they do that? Well, What's the best way to get started with that? The first thing is just become a member. It's $35 a year, and for that, you get so much. You get the Turkey Country Magazine, which I write a column in every issue. You get a gift card from Bass Pro Shops. You get to free admission into the convention every year that's in Nashville. You know, you get more than your $35 worth. Plus, you become part of an organization that, like I said, has a successful track record and people and a conservation organization that puts their money on the ground where you can see it. Part of it stays in your state. Once you become a member, go on the website and click on your state and you'll find a chapter near you or you'll find an event in your area, something going on, whether it's a Jake's event, take your kids to that. If they're under 18 years old, you know, most of them don't even charge. You can be a Jake's member for $10 a year and these kids get their own magazine. They get you know, to attend these events and, and they learn. It, it becomes, you know, they become part of an outdoor society when they're Jake's and you know it teaches them just so much so you know there's our chapter has a nice Jake's event and we pay the membership out of our proceeds from our chapter we pay the membership for our Jake's kids that's how strongly we believe we want these kids involved in that where we teach them hunter safety we teach them to be not only safe, but responsible little hunters. So anyway, find an event in your area. Women in the outdoors, take part. I volunteer at a wheeling sportsman. Volunteer at a wounded warrior event. You may be giving your time, but I'll guarantee you're going to come home 10 times over more rewarded than anything you gave. No doubt. The the thing that I feel set the NWTF apart is you never go to a banquet, but what they... One, say the Pledge of Allegiance. Two, they honor our veterans. They recognize them. Nearly everyone I go to, they bring them up. They they give them a pin. They honor them, and Mm -hmm. they bless the food. They they thank our Creator for all our blessings. And very few organizations or anything anymore has these standards where they honor God, country, our veterans, and they include our women and children and the disabled. So when all of those things combine, tells me, I know in my heart that it is a good organization. I think you just summed it all up. I think it speaks for itself. I think you summed it up with that right there, no doubt. No doubt. And and I think anyone that goes to a banquet or goes to any NWTF function or event is going to see that what Brenda just said is exactly right. And that's the foundation really behind the organization. And, and without a good foundation, you're not going to have anything else to build on. So I think you hit the nail on the head. Brenda, I really, really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all of this great information with us. Before I let you go, are there any last thoughts that you want to share with us? Well, I think you have done a wonderful job of interviewing, and I, well, I don't you. know. Uh, I'm, I'm content if you are. I think we've <laughs> shared a lot of hunting stuff today. I don't know if anybody would learn anything from it, but we've definitely aired our views. Well, I'm sure that there's a lot of information to gain from this. And I think carrying on a conversation with you for five minutes, there's a lot of information to gain and and a lot of stuff to learn, much less getting 
over an hour of your time. I think there's just a ton of info here. So I appreciate you. I appreciate the compliment. And if you're up for it sometime, maybe we'll do another interview. Well, it'd be my honor. Thank you for asking. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope that you have a wonderful weekend. I understand you're going to do something fun, and I hope you really enjoy it and take well, a little time off of work and leave the phone at home. <laughs> Yes, my second passion beyond hunting is horseback riding and farming. So if I'm not on this John Deere tractor out here, I'm on this quarter horse. And so this weekend is devoted to my horses. I'm I'm going to be trail riding up at Land Between the Lakes, and I definitely enjoy that. So I've there's no hunting season going on, and I have all the food plots in and the bush hogging done. I make mm-hmm. time, and so I'll be in the saddle, and I'm looking forward to it. Great. I hope you really enjoy it. And thank you again. I look forward to talking to you again sometime soon. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did putting it together. You know, what really stood out to me in the interview is Brenda's passion for the outdoors and the mission that she has to share the joys of the outdoors with others. She is truly devoted to volunteering and sharing her knowledge with others. She's completely unselfish with her time and using that time to introduce others to the sport, even though that means that she often doesn't get to squeeze the trigger when she's out hunting. But she enjoys taking others out and introducing them to the sport so much that she's willing to give that up. And that really stood out to me. So before we wrap up, a couple of things for you guys. Don't forget that if you're looking to go on one heck of a turkey hunting trip and you want to go kill a Merriam's turkey, go to my website, www.diymerriamsturkeyhunt.com and pick up a copy of my book which will show you where you can go on an awesome public land DIY Merriam's turkey hunt and have a great time, be surrounded by turkeys and in the book I share with you everything from where to fly into to where to rent a car from to where to stay, where to hunt the whole nine yards I've got in this book. And you can pick the book up at www.diymerriamsturkeyhunt.com. And if you buy that book now, there's no doubt in my mind that come next turkey season, you can be in North Dakota or South Dakota hunting Merriam's turkeys and having a great time. Also, don't forget that if you have a turkey hunting product that you would like to advertise on the Turkey Hunter podcast, send me an email to andy at iamturkeyhunting.com, andy at iamturkeyhunting.com, and just let me know that you're interested in advertising, and I will send some info over to you. I hope to have my advertising packages published and on my website by July 1. And I'm actually in the process of redesigning the website, so that could be delayed a little bit as well until the new website is actually up and running. Thank you guys very much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. 
and stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.